0: Community Alliance with Family Farmers presents the Farmers Beat podcast. That's B E E T. Hi, my name is Grace Perry. I work at Community Alliance with Family Farmers, also known as CAF. I am the host of these episodes where we hear directly from small family farmers throughout California, getting the real information and the stories behind the food we grow and eat. In this series, we pay particular attention to the innovative work small-scale farmers are doing to keep their food safe to eat, and share techniques farmer to farmer.
1: My name is Steve Fukugawa, I am a third-generation farmer of Japanese descent, and I grow organic raisins and tree fruit in the Kingsburg area.
0: Steve. A third-generation Japanese farmer initially began his career in mechanical engineering after earning his degree, and after what seemed like a bump in the road, Steve started to farm with his father, but as we will soon find out, it wasn't exactly what he wanted for him.
1: I uh, always enjoyed working with my father in the field on the farm, uh, doing mechanic work and uh, everything it takes on a day-to-day basis to run a farm. In 1967, when I went to go to college, my father said he'd pay for our education. And I told him, well, I want to be a farmer. I want to go into ag. And he said he would not pay for that. He said, you get a degree in anything else if you uh, you can work in ag, but you'll always have an education to fall back on. I got my education and um, my degrees in mechanical engineering. I worked for a few years in uh, in industry. I got laid off in uh, 1977 from engineering and two weeks before I was married. I started farming with my father in 1978, so we've uh, farmed since 1978.
0: Although Steve started his farming journey in 1978, the farm's roots and beginnings date back to 1918.
1: My grandfather emigrated in 1917 In 1918, he bought the 12-acre ranch a quarter mile north of here. They had a law that excluded, well, mainly Japanese, but immigrants from owning land, so he had to put the title of the farm in a a family friend's name, John Otis. And uh, so my grandpa never owned the land. He started farming, and when my my dad was born in 1919, at the age of 10, Grandpa, they uh, executed a quick claim to switch the ownership of the property to my dad's name. My uh, father had a mostly raisin grape vineyard, and we also grew plums and nectarines for fresh fruit market. Okay, we're in the Kingsburg area, in, uh, and the farms are in Kings County. This is a middle of winter for us. We generally have low temperatures in the 40s and uh, 30s, and highs at maybe 60 degrees. Uh, we're located near the Kings River, so it's oftentimes foggy in the morning till about 10, 11, 12 o'clock in the morning. So, organically, I've been farming about 13, 14 years, something like that. On our organic farm, we are trying to practice regenerative farming techniques, and we're. Um, planting cover crop. We have cover crop between our vine rows and tree rows and um, trying to um, get the most out of retaining the water and keeping our bacteria and biology alive in the soil in the wintertime. I have uh, one full-time employee. This winter, I've got another a full-time employee that also prunes the tree, tree fruit for me. One man prunes 33 acres of trees. And then during the harvest season, we'll have as much as 30 to 40 people in crews to pick fruit or thin fruit, something like that. Uh, we start picking um, in June, and our last variety of pluot harvests in September. Our raisin grapes we harvest in uh, mid-September and uh, get the raisin, raisins on the ground to dry in the sun. We sell wholesale through a, a shop picker or a um, packer-shipper for the tree fruit. The uh, Raisin Grapes, I'm a member of a, a co-op called Sunmade Raisin Growers of California.
0: Steve's farm includes 28 acres of grape vines and 33 acres of tree fruit. But this year, he is pulling out half of his vines.
1: Two years ago, I lost 1,000 an acre. In this last year, I think I'm losing about 500 an acre. I want to quit losing so much.
0: Steve believes his grapes are underperforming because of global warming and the impact of extreme summertime heat in California's Central Valley.
1: We've got very, very old, old vines that is a particular variety that for some reason is declining the past few years. And I believe it's global warming. It just can't take those intense days in, during the summertime.
0: Amid Steve's concerns about global warming and the impact it has on his farm, Steve tells us about his biggest concerns for small farmers.
1: Our biggest concern for a small farmer is um, the cost of all our inputs that we're having to put in. Primarily, labor has gone up, a minimum wage now now at $15 an hour. And more importantly, our work week has changed from three years ago it was 60 hours of, of straight time and now it's down to 40 hours of straight time. So that's going to have a tremendous impact on the cost of, uh, of our operation. I generally try to stay with the same farm labor contractors, and uh, it's, but it's been increasingly difficult to sometimes the crew when you want them, when you want to pick. And it's critical for tree fruit because you can't sometimes you can't wait a week later for someone to show up.
0: We're here to learn about Steve's compost tea production. Compost teas are liquid versions of solid compost material and add beneficial microorganisms and nutrients to the soil. Steve starts by describing compost tea and his production process.
1: Yes, uh, compost tea is a uh, brew of microorganisms using compost and worm castings in an infuser in a tank of water. And with circulation and aeration and also adding a food for the bacteria to grow, you make compost tea. I use the compost tea in both as a foliar and irrigated into the drip system for all the trees and vines. A Foliar is your different nutrients and food in with water, and, and I put it in a air blast sprayer and uh, spray it out in the foliar on the, on the leaves of the grapes and trees. I, I have a 500-gallon tank that uh, drop a, a tea infuser in that's got a couple of cubic feet of compost in it, as well as worm castings, and you uh, circulate it and uh, aerate it. And um, in 24 hours, you have a batch of uh, compost tea. The the white thing over there is the infuser part. We use a 80 mesh stainless steel screen because, as I always explained, uh, the hyphae or something in the biology of the thing too big or too little the hole is not good. So it's just the right size for the water to go through and mix, and then to get the biology to come out and, and uh, get mixed in the 500 gallon tank. Wow. We have to to be able to um, to drop the infuser down and uh, I've got an air pump that pumps air into that I've got that copper tube that that I stick down into the infuser to get big bubbles come to make sure that the the compost tea is kind of fluffing up and loose and then uh, also I've got an air stone at the bottom of the tank that creates a lot of little teeny tiny bubbles that that aerates it just the way that the biology needs to to make the tea. The circulation pump sucks in air and then it injects it on and these uh, four different nozzles it's located around the middle of the tank. So it puts a lot of big bubbles and jets of water that kind of circulate and make everything mix constantly in that 24-hour period. Yeah, I do, yeah, it just stays on. It makes kind of a snorkeling noise and and then a motor noise and stuff like that as the pump's running, but I have to put about a cup of salad oil in at the top as an anti-foaming agent, otherwise uh, the, the heat and the bubbles will foam out and you get foam all over the place.
0: There are many ways to prepare compost tea, including a variety of food sources that can be added to the liquid mixture. Steve describes the inputs he uses.
1: Purchase uh, organically certified compost, as well as worm castings. Also, the food is uh, a mixture of um, several um, seaweeds, um, different elements to uh, for the uh, tea to um, feed on when it's being produced. The important thing uh, that they've always stressed is to make sure that there's air on it all the time as you don't want anything to go anaerobic, and we're just uh, trying to keep it alive and safe, rather, to apply.
0: You might be wondering what compost tea has to do with food safety. While research supports using compost tea as a nutrient source on fresh produce farms, there are some concerns about using compost tea on the same farms because it may be a source of illness-causing microorganisms. Third-party food safety audits, like the one Steve gets every year, have their own standards for safely using soil amendments like compost tea. The Food Safety Modernization Act, also known by its acronym FSMA, also includes rules for compost tea use. If compost tea contains an additive, such as molasses, yeast extract, or algal powder, FSMA categorizes the product as an untreated soil amendment of animal origin. So practically, what does this mean for growers? It means that growers who are fully covered under FSMA and apply compost tea in a way that contacts produce must observe minimal application intervals between applying the compost tea and harvesting their product. While we wait for the FDA to conduct research and decide minimum application intervals, they recommend using guidelines from the National Organic Program. These guidelines say to wait 120 days between application and harvest of a product whose edible portion directly contacts the soil, like melons, and 90 days for a product whose edible portion does not directly contact the soil, like trellis tomatoes. If, however, the compost tea does not directly contact produce during or after application, growers can apply their tea with a zero application interval, meaning they don't need to wait between application and harvest. Another exception is if a grower uses compost tea that contains fully processed inputs, such as treated compost, and the water has no detectable generic E. coli per 100 milliliter sample. They can apply their tea with a zero-day application interval as well. Steve, at what point during the season do you apply the compost tea to your crops?
1: Our uh, our first spray is generally uh, fungicide sprays when the buds are swelling or starting to uh, the blooms are starting petals are starting to show, Um, and uh, we generally put our fungicides uh, um, apply them to protect them from winter rains and other. Uh, spores that are floating around that we don't want to get into the to the flowers and it just uh, compost tea uh, kind of helps the biology of the of the plant tissue to be healthier and stronger and uh, resist any um, attack from anything that we don't want to get in there
0: so you apply it with a fungicide
1: yes i do yeah the, the only thing that i do not mix with um the only fungicide I do not mix with compost tea is, is uh, anything that's got sulfur or, I believe, copper. Well, mostly it's sulfur. Sulfur will kill the compost tea.
0: And you're applying that in the late fall before?
1: Actually, uh, the bud break is in the early spring, uh, late February through the month of March is when we get most of our bloom uh, coming out.
0: And then when are you using the compost tea in your irrigation lines?
1: Uh, Generally, um, whenever the roots are active, like um, when buds start to break or buds swell, um, then we know the roots are starting to wake up and we need to get some biology in the soil. And and the compost tea is a good good choice for that.
0: And how do you keep track of when you're adding the compost tea or when you're adding any of the um, nutrient sprays? Do you keep records for that?
1: Yeah, for for my um, uh, organic record keeping, I've got a, um, I think it's called an input sheet or it's a spreadsheet where I've got to, I, I report on which crop and what I sprayed or irrigated and, uh, and whether it's um, a reportable chemical to the Ag Commissioner or or foliar or anything it's it's anything and everything I put on each crop is recorded.
0: Are you usually making it right before you need it?
1: Yes, I, I try to uh, use it up within a week of um, of, of making the, a tea batch. It, usually it goes pretty fast with you know 60 acres of production that you have to cover both foliar and in in the drip as well.
0: And how are you getting the actual product from the 500 gallon drum into your sprayer or into your irrigation lines?
1: If it's uh, at the pump location where the um, compost tea maker is, I can, I can in- inject it directly into the line or I, I usually take it and decant the tea into 250 gallon tote uh, plastic totes and as long as I keep an an air stone or an aerator on it at all times until I use it then uh, I can store it in the shed or in in under the shade and everything until it's ready to be used.
0: Have you been able to use the same equipment for your compost tea for all 10 years or is it something that you have to replace more often?
1: No it's it's the, the fellow who designed it uh, used some very good materials, and it's really a very minimal amount of maintenance and and repairs. I, I dropped a rock into the tank once, and I had to retrieve it out of the pump. And, and But it, at least I learned how to tear everything apart.
0: Can you describe any differences that you've seen in the crop since you started using compost tea?
1: You know, um, I, uh, I uh, go by the theory that I try to use everything and anything I can to promote the health of the uh, of the plants I, I haven't done any blind tests or anything to, to show any controls of what has or hasn't but I also have been able to in um, the tree fruit especially been able to uh, maintain a high quality crop that is um, that's very marketable and uh, try not to mess with the success once I have it so.
0: You have any tips for farmers who are just starting to use compost tea, or thinking about investing in a compost tea setup?
1: Yeah, it just depends on the operation. Uh, if you want to try, you can buy it commercially um, through uh, well, locally. New Era Farm Service will sell compost tea, and uh, for each operation, you could try it and and see what um, yeah, how it works for your operation.
0: Steve is excited about implementing new practices on his farm for 2022. They range from getting new machinery to helping to create healthy environmental conditions.
1: Well, besides uh, converting to regenerative farming, growing cover crops, I'm also looking forward to um, getting machinery that will chop the cover crop and throw it underneath the drip irrigation system and uh do what I think they call that mulching and um, it'll hopefully suppress weeds as well as create a um, an environment where the water won't be lost so quickly and um, everything um, everything at organics is a lot of it happens at the surface of the ground and so it's creates a more um, healthy uh, condition for the plants looking at new ways uh, innovative ways to farm more efficiently um, and most recently we'll leave a minimal environmental footprint uh, for the way we're going is not a good direction. So we need to be more climate smart in our farming decisions as well.
0: CAF is a nonprofit organization that has been helping small farmers across California with technical assistance and policy advocacy since 1978. If you're curious about things you learned in this episode, head over to our show notes at calf.org farmersbeat That's B-E-E-T, where we have links, resources, and photographs. Be sure to share this episode with your friends and follow us on Instagram at calf underscore fam farms to stay up to date on when new episodes are released and to see more pictures from the farms featured in this podcast. This podcast would not exist without the funding from the California Specialty Crop Small and Medium Scale Farm Food Safety Technical Assistance Program, made possible by the United States Department of Agriculture. The contents of this podcast are solely the responsibility of CAF and do not necessarily represent the official views of the USDA. We thank them for their support of this work and helping real farmers share their food safety tips to other farmers. Are you a farmer interested in being in a future episode or have a question related to this podcast? You can contact us at thefarmersbeat at CAF.org. Thank you for listening and join us for the next episode from CAF, sharing farm fresh insights right from the field and giving voice to sustainable agriculture since 1978.